If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Exodus chapter 1 as we are beginning a new series over the next couple months, Exodus chapter 1. We'll read this in just a few moments. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. If this is your first time, a special welcome to you. If this is your 400th time, a special welcome to you. Let me remind you, just as we've been focusing on the Lord, lifting up voices in worship, as we are gathered together, as wonderful as this time is, to encourage us, to strengthen us. We gather on Sunday mornings not just to be able to make it through another week. We gather together on Sundays to prepare hearts and lives for eternity. That's why we gather, and so we align our hearts to learn, to listen to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So that's why this time is so important for us. I'm excited about this new series. I'm also terrified, uh, particularly even this morning, as we have to kind of deal with a little bit of background and setting. Um, but Lord willing, God will be faithful. And we are asking and praying for that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me now? <clears throat> Father, we thank you. I thank you for this day that you've given to us, this time set apart to gather together, to be encouraged, to focus our attention on you, to take the focus off of ourselves. Father, we live in a day and a time that we're just in such need. We pray, Lord, for our country. We pray for our leaders. We pray, Lord, for the world. As we hear of just bad news after bad news after bad news. And we thank you, Lord, that you're a God of good news. That you give grace, that you sustain us and strengthen us. And Lord, as we direct our attention now, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every person that's here. Father, I ask for help this morning. I'm in constant and desperate need of help. I pray, Lord, that you'd give clarity of thought and mind and speech, that everything that is said and done would not direct our attention toward anyone or anything other than you, first and foremost. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This uh, past fall, spent significant time away on break, and I had the opportunity uh, to visit with my family, particularly with my dad and my mom. I appreciate prayers for my mom, who has for just decades um, struggled with significant health issues, but God has graciously, graciously sustained my mom. Uh, more recently, she has been struggling significantly with memory loss. As we all age, we inevitably will face that. But God graciously continues to sustain her, and I'm thankful for that. So on the day that I visited my mom, it just happened to be 
um, October the 31st. It was Halloween, or as we refer to it in our family as Reformation Day. And I didn't tell my mom I was going to be arriving. I wanted to surprise her. And so I stopped and I bought a big bouquet of flowers and some chocolates for her. And I also thought it'd be fun to buy a rubber mask to put over my head just to make sure that she was surprised by it. I actually have a picture of how I was going to arrive. Kind of like an Asian Martin Luther is what I was thinking. We won't leave that up there too long. But you know, it, 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 it didn't really quite work out like I thought. I walked into where mom was and, and had the flowers and, and the chocolate and the mask without saying a word, unannounced. First words out of mom's mouth were, Oh my, Timothy, how are you doing today? <laughs> Literally, I was like, Mom, I just paid $5.99 for this mask. How did you know? She said this, and I will never forget. She goes, I would know those knees anywhere. I had a pair of shorts on. <laughs> sharp, sharp. You know, it's interesting. I think we would all agree that moms know their kids pretty well, don't they? As a matter of fact, you as a mom or even as a dad, you probably feel that you know your little one pretty good. I think we all would admit the fact that there are limits to what we actually know about our own children. There's limits to what our parents actually would know about us. They may know our knees from someone else's. But they really can't see too far deep with inside of our hearts. They really can't see too far inside of our soul. As we begin this series, I want to remind you that we have been created, you personally, every one of us, according to what it says in Psalm 139, have been formed and shaped and knit together in your mother's womb by a creator God who knows you. And he knows more than what your knees look like. He knows at this very moment what is happening in the very depths and corners and recesses of your heart and soul and mind that no one else knows. He knows it. He sees it. Why? Because He created you. Our Creator God knows what it is that is heavy on your heart at this very moment as we have entered through the gates of another year, of another decade. Those things that that we really don't want to tell other people. God, God sees you and he, he understands the struggle and the strain, even the stresses. He understands perhaps some of the areas of bondage that are holding you captive, that are keeping you from what? Being free as a follower of Jesus, as a faithful follower of Jesus. But thankfully, just as God created you, God has also promised to rescue you and to redeem you. 
And I don't, I don't really think that there's another place in all of scripture that we are introduced to a God who rescues and redeems more than in the book of Exodus. That's why we are here this day. Now, even if this is your very first time, even if you have not read the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, You've probably heard at some level your grandparents talking about Charlton Heston looking, and I remember this phrase from Grandma Peters, looking mighty handsome as he was standing, what, with a really bad looking like wig and beard in robes as the Red Sea is parting. That, that's actually, that's Exodus. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. Egypt, Pharaoh, the Nile, the Sphinx, the pyramids, the plagues, that's, that's all Exodus. You've heard of those things before. The burning bush, water from a rock, manna from heaven, a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, the golden calf, Mount Sinai, thunder and lightning and smoke, that's, that's all Exodus. The Ten Commandments for more than 3,000 years have been the basic moral code for all of mankind. The Ten Commandments that for the last at least 200 years have hung in many of our courtrooms and schools and town squares that is now the subject of endless lawsuits and debates and court cases of religious freedom. That's all exodus. So we begin this morning with this question. Three questions we're going to look at. The first one is this. What's in Exodus? Really? What's in Exodus? The word Exodus literally means departure or, or going out. I like to use the word exit. That's what it's written all over the place. That's what Exodus is. It's an exit. In summary, and we will look at this for literally weeks and perhaps months, it's the story of the Jews. God's chosen people going out or exiting from bondage as slaves through God's miraculous intervention. They were freed, rescued, and redeemed. And through peril, we will see, and danger, and all-out rebellion, we will see that God never, ever, ever gave up on them. And he was constant in revealing himself through protection and provision and blessing as they are en route to a promised land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's described in scripture, which is interesting to know. It is the exact place that they live reside and actually thrive in today. This past fall, Wendy and I had the chance to visit this land recently. It's really hard, in all honesty, it's hard to describe Israel. A sliver of land the size of New Jersey. A sliver of, of rock and sand. And yet, oddly, in the middle of a desert... There is a lushness to it. A lushness with green and fruit trees. Fruit trees that have, have supports underneath the branches to keep them from breaking off because there's so much fruit on them. A nation that literally leads 
the globe in biotech and medicine and cybersecurity and agricultural innovation. The cities are bursting in growth, being built, growing constantly. The book of Exodus is actually the introduction to this story and to these people in many ways. Exodus is part of what is referred to as the Pentateuch, Penta 5, the first five books of the Old Testament, or what is referred to as the Torah. It's all written by the same man, primarily written by Moses, who's the primary character of Exodus. Moses is arguably one of the most written about, researched, and recorded characters in all of Scripture. The time frame, just so that you understand, takes place after the patriarchs, but before the kings. We're looking at about 1200 to 1400 BC is the events of Exodus. The narrative, the storyline here opens that we'll read in just a moment in Egypt. Egypt, if you think geographically, is located in the northeast corner of Africa. Remains, even to this day, a significant place of historical weight in history with its pyramids and the Sphinx and King Tut's tomb. It remains impactful today because of its oil and natural gas resources. However, today, it's nowhere near the superpower that Egypt used to be. At the time of this writing, Egypt was feared was a superpower that was feared by virtually everyone. It had mighty pharaohs who functioned not only as kings, but were actually worshipped as gods. They built impressive structures that remain even to this day. And understand this, in this setting, in this chapter, there was a spiritual darkness. They were in touch with an evil that is almost unprecedented to this day. You'll see that very, very evident with the way that they treat people. Let's pick up the narrative. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read just down through verse, verse 14 today. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Ishkar and Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and they are too mighty for us. They're too many and too mighty. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them as they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. 
And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Second question is this, why? Why Exodus? Why this study? Why now? Let me give to you three reasons. The number one is this, is that we need to know God better than we do. Why Exodus? Wherever you are in your journey of life, Some little ones are here. Some older ones are here. Our life is but a breath. I preached at a funeral just yesterday, reminding everyone listening, it's it's here one moment, and it's gone the next. Therefore, we need to know God better than we do. It's the perfect time right now. To be confronted head on with truth. Here it is. You can, you can balk at it. You can argue with it. You can try to shut your mind and eyes and ears out from it. But the truth is there is a God. And he is holy. And he is just. And he is perfect. And he is powerful. But he is also loving and he desires and he longs to be in relationship with you as powerful as God is he is still loving and desires to be in relationship with you you can harden your heart against that truth and you can live your life however you want it but the day will come that you stand before a holy God this day this moment we prepare for that Why, as one author, Everett Fox, described the primary focus of Exodus, and I quote, Pharaoh and the Nile, both of which were considered divine in Egypt, are in the end forced to yield to the superior power. In the end, Pharaoh, mighty king, worshipped as divine, was forced to bow and to bend his knee to the will of a superior power. The more that we seek to know about God, the quicker we are to submit to his authority, and thus what? The closer, the more intimate relationship that we will have. Number one reason of why Exodus is because we need to know God better than we do. Number two, in Exodus we not only get to know God more, but we are actually introduced to God's plan for redemption for mankind. God is not up there, what? Oh no! He's not, he's not saying that. He has a plan. He has promises for us. Nowhere is God's plan of redemption more visible than when we get to Exodus chapter 12 in quite some time. And we know what? Scripture talks about the fact. The angel of the Lord says what? When I see the blood over the doorpost, I will pass over. And right there, we are introduced to God's plan that we see all the way through the single story of Scripture. 
Third reason why exit is because we begin to understand very clearly what God's promises are. We begin to understand what God's plan for your life and my life are. We begin to understand what God's purpose is for your life. You are here for a reason. God has created you, formed you, and fashioned you. There's only one of you. You can minister to people that I cannot. Therefore, God has a specific promise, plan, and purpose. And we begin to understand what that is through this book right here. So here it is. The curtain opens in the book of Exodus. In all honesty, it's probably not even quite that simple because we have to really understand how the curtain closed at the end of Genesis. We can't just pick up the story in the middle. This is very, very important for us. The focus as the curtain was closing in the end of Genesis was on a man whose name was Joseph. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of his father Jacob. His grandfather was Isaac. His great-grandfather was Abraham. And it was Abraham whom God had promised. I want you to look up at the stars. And just like the number of those stars that cannot be counted, so will the descendants of your, what, your life be. There's a promise. Joseph, however, had been despised by his brothers because he was clearly his father's favorite. And so what's, what, big brothers who pick on little brothers? I have one, I know what they did to us. My brother never sold me into slavery, probably wanted to on more than one occasion. But Joseph's big brothers literally sold him, sold him into slavery, heading to Egypt. He had been falsely accused, he had been imprisoned for more than two years. God was with him and freed him. And Joseph rose through the ranks of every single person in Egypt to be number two to Pharaoh himself. It was Joseph whom God granted incredible wisdom and planning that kept Joseph, that kept Egypt well supplied when there was a severe famine that hit the land. So severe as it spread throughout the region that his own family members, those bigger brothers who had sold him into slavery, actually came down to Egypt because they knew that there was provision there. They knew that there was food there. And that's how, in a sense, this family comes down. As we read in the first part of Exodus chapter 1, there were 70 of them. One family, about 70 people. If you were to fast forward from the end of Exodus, excuse me, from the end of Genesis to the opening chapter of Exodus, there's a span of about 350 years. And in that 350 years, that family goes from 70 people to 600,000 men plus women and children. They estimate to be about 2.4 million people. God bless them in amazing ways. We begin to see the plan that's put into what motion for the purpose that God has, not just for Israel's life, but also for your life and my life. Number three, third question, how, how does Exodus really? Now think about this, set in ancient Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula more than three and a half thousand years ago. How does Exodus actually impact my life today? Like today, we're sitting what? In, in the United States of America in 2020, how does Exodus touch or impact 
my life today? It's a great question that you ask. How? Because we, we, together, we have a problem. Just as the many descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been promised a blessing, they were not living in anything other than bondage. They had been promised blessing, but they were living in bondage. Today, there are many people in this one room that have gathered together. Some of you are suffering in the midst of bondage. It seems like every day you wake up and you begin with a a weight that is pressing upon you, a burden, a heaviness, a habit, a situation, a brokenness, a loneliness, a hopelessness. It's just too much to bear. It's all, it's all, it's all a result of the brokenness of sin. Now, now it may be your own sin, it may be your own actions, but in all honesty, it may not even be something that you've done. It may be what? You suffering as a result of the actions of someone else's sin, but it still comes back to the subject of sin is a result of the bondage and brokenness that exists in our world today. But just as God saw the suffering and sent someone to rescue the people of Israel, God sees your suffering today. What? He knows more than your knees. He knows every little thought. The cobwebs in the corners. He knows what's hiding behind there. And just as God sent someone to rescue the Israelites, whose name was Moses, and we'll see that, God has also sent someone to rescue you from your suffering and from your bondage. And his name is Jesus. Is Jesus. We know that the narrative begins with a new king arose over Egypt and they didn't know Joseph. You know, it's interesting that it does seem like time kind of erases one's impact, doesn't it? Like you're amazingly adorable today. I'm sorry to tell you that your great-great-grandchildren won't even know who you are. The impact that we have is relatively short and brief. And we see that even with Joseph, where over a period of time, no one remembered how severe the famine was. No one was what remembering how brilliant of a planner that Joseph was. And, and the seas, the oceans of golden grain that they had stored up. No one remembered that. No one remembered the bilateral agreement that was made between Joseph and this Pharaoh long ago. The new Pharaoh arrives, the new sheriff in town, and he looks out and he just despises this massively growing population of Hebrews. And he hates this family. Why? Because he's terrified he may lose his seat of power. It said what? Behold, the people of Israel are too many and they're too mighty for us. 
Let's put a plan in place. And it uses this word shrewdly. He dealt shrewdly with them. The, the way that they mistreated. The way that they tried to crush the spirit of. The way that they literally would, would torture and beat. The narrative both captivates and challenges us because we see the hand of God in the, in, in the midst of bondage still on these people. So just as the Israelites had a problem, we have a problem, and it's bondage. Decisions that you've made, things that you've done, they, they, they seem to, to follow you and to haunt you. Not only that, but just like the Israelites were under a sense of hardship, we too can be suffering as a result of hardship. It may not even be our own decisions. It's the decisions of what? No one, no one, no one, I, I didn't choose to be born in the home that, that I was born in. Neither did you. Some of you who grew up in homes that were just filled with drunkenness and abuse. A place where there was no love, there was no, there was no Kisses at night and, and tucks in and stories read and prayers prayed. It wasn't like that. And so there's hardship. We know eventually, as the story continues on, that Pharaoh is so what intimidated by this mighty nation that is growing up within his own that he actually has a plan to kill every single one of the young baby boys. Let's just get rid of them. They can't multiply that way. And so they're under a, 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 a problem of bondage, a problem of hardship, a problem of death. Just like every single one of us. The statistics on death are rather impressive. One out of one people die. Therefore we need to acknowledge that. And we need to prepare for what comes after that. So we acknowledge, yes, yes, the impact of what does this story have to do with us today? We have a problem just like the Israelites do. And secondly, what? God gives us a promise. God gives to us an important promise. I love the way that it begins with the promise of blessing. The people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. Even to the place that it says, what? The more that they were oppressed the more they multiplied. Just think of that promise. Regardless of how much pressure was placed on, the more that they, they pushed down on them, what? The more children, the healthier children, the stronger children, the number of children. Look around. Look around at the blessing that God has given to you. Rather than waking up every single day and just only thinking of the hardship or the suffering. Think about the fact that when you open up your eyes in the morning, that you can open up your eyes and you can see. God has blessed us. Blessed us with the ability to gather like this in freedom. God has blessed us with the ability to communicate with one another, to live in community and to establish relationships, to live in an, in an absolute beautiful, beautiful little corner of the country. God has blessed us with opportunities to serve and to give and to love, to shine bright as lights. As followers of Jesus in a very, very dark world, there's, there's promise of God's blessing all over the place. And I think that we race through trying to grab more and more and more and more without pausing to think of the many blessings 
God gives a promise of protection every single day. We know that as Pharaoh's plan was to eliminate all the baby boys, that there were these two midwives, and we'll look at that story briefly later on. So God dealt well with midwives. The people multiplied. They grew very strong. There's nothing that the enemy could do that God in his sovereignty cannot protect. And we see God's promise of protection. And ultimately, we see God's promise of redemption. It goes all the way back, not necessarily to Exodus chapter 1. It goes all the way back to the end of, of Genesis. And there's a little phrase there in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. When after what Joseph's brothers had come to him, and they're falling on their knees asking for forgiveness for having been so cruel and having sold him into slavery, that Joseph actually makes the statement that says what? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It's a wonderful promise that if you remember nothing else from this morning, but the introduction of Exodus actually takes us back to the end of Genesis that says this. As for you, whatever the enemy's plan was that meant evil against me, God actually in his sovereignty can turn it around and, and, and make it into something beautiful. It's Isaiah or Jeremiah. One of the prophets it says what? He takes, he takes and makes beauty from ashes. I love that. So for you and I this morning, as we are just kind of walking through the first kind of threshold of this book, of this study, we're very much like these people. We too are in the bondage of sin. And we know that. We don't teach our children how to rebel from us. We don't teach our children how to lie or how to cheat or to steal or to fight with the siblings. No, they've got that down. We're in need of redemption. It says the wages of sin is death. And we know ultimately that that is what awaits us, at least physically for this body. But ultimately, we know that we have been given, we have been sent, one who has defeated death. As Matt read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, it may be your very first time in church. It may be your very first time to hear about the name Jesus as one who rescues you or redeems you, but have tremendous hope that when we live every single day, yes, as recipient of his blessing, even in the midst of our bondage and hardship, he still has a hope for us. He still has a plan for you. He still has a purpose for your life. When we what? When we surrender to his sovereignty. When we confess, yes, yes, I am in need. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that savior to be Jesus. Who lived a perfect, sinless life. Who was sacrificed as a lamb without blemish to pay for, to atone for our sins. And yet after Jesus was dead, he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he burst forth from the tomb. That is the hope that we live with every single day. 
We put our trust and our faith in Jesus as our Savior, but also submit to Him as Lord. Which means that from this day forward, you're not calling the shots. I'm not calling the shots. Lord, you want me to go left? I'll go left. Lord, you want me to go right? I'll go right. Lord, you want me to stop? I'll stop. Every day, just as we will see through the example of the Israelites, they listen to the Lord. And they also didn't listen to the Lord. Just like you and I. But they were reminded of God's unmovable commitment to them and faithfulness to them. We too this morning can be reminded of God's amazing faithfulness to every single one of us. If you have not put your faith, put your life into the hands of of the Redeemer, of the Rescuer, Jesus, then you can do that today. And I would invite you to speak with me, to speak with anyone else here. How do I know this Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. Father, we love you. We thank you for your patience with us and your grace. May you go with us. May you continue to speak with us as we are introduced to this amazing story of how you rescue and redeem and how you have a purpose and a plan. And help us, Lord, to listen and learn so we can be faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.